Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher, Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for uh, listening these past couple seasons. We're now in season three, and we have uh, enjoyed presenting uh, some pretty fun uh, guests. And we've got another one today, and his name is Charlie Reimer. Everybody knows him from the morning drive and TV, but... He was the U.S. Junior Champion back uh, several years ago, went on to play at Georgia Tech, was an All-American there, great player there, got his PGA Tour card, but first played Nationwide Tour, uh, worked his way to the PGA Tour, decided to give that up, and got into TV, and we all know him from his TV side of it. One of the funny guys, but one of the really bright guys uh, in the business, and uh, look forward to having Charlie tell some stories and uh, getting to know him a little bit better. So let's get Charlie on the phone. All right, I got my friend Charlie Reimer on the podcast. Charlie? I edit this, but the problem is I edit this. So uh, glad to have you on today. <laughs> I'd, I'd pay to watch you try and run a computer. I, I really would. That'd be fun to watch. I bet. I mean, you know, I mean, you're not a big foul language guy, but you got to let a few fly when you're dealing with a computer. I would think. Oh yeah, and I have to bring my youngest daughter, who's the only one left at the house, to bring it in. And she said, "Dad, you can't do this. You, you don't know what you're doing." <laughs> So it, it's it's insane, but I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm getting better. I'm getting. Yeah, better. that's good. Yeah, that's yeah, really good. You know, but uh, how you feeling these days? Because you had a bout with COVID uh, back oh, it's almost six or eight years months ago. It was a pretty bad uh, case of it, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and th- thank you for asking. It, it was. Uh, uh, I I had it bad. You know, when you when you look at COVID, uh, most people get it. it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, very small percentage have it especially i'm i'm 53 now so when i had i was 52 but but i got sick uh middle of june and i was you know the the one in a thousand or ten thousand or whatever that had the really bad symptoms and uh, my wife's an orange she had me at home for about nine days and during that period i ran a fever as high as 104.7 wow. um i don't really remember a lot of the nine days and then uh uh, she was monitoring my vitals and what was really critical. I, I'm certainly not a doctor, but as she explained it to me that your uh, blood oxygen percentage, um, you know, normal is 95 or higher. And mine dropped down into, uh, around 87 and we couldn't get it up. And, and she said, I, you know, I'm, you're turning purple. So she had to take me to the hospital and, and, um, Jim, that's quite the experience because, uh, it's her hospital. Um, and you know, she can't go in, you know, with me and you get turned over to these healthcare professionals that are, you know, right there on the front line. And they, and, and back in June, they, they, they were still learning. I mean, I guess they still are learning, but I mean, they, it was early on how to treat it and how you get it and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, you go in there and there's an intake nurse and I'm sure she had a couple kids and a family at home and, all the people dealing with you laying their life on the line to, you know, to, to help. And, and, uh, they, uh, I live in Myrtle's Inlet, South Carolina, and the hospital there is Waccamaw Hospital, which is part of the Titlands group. And I'm telling you what, they were real pros. They got me the help I needed. They got me stabilized. Um, pretty quickly, uh, they got me qualified to get some of the exotic medicines that they had at the time. And, and now I think they've got a, you know, a few more tools in the toolbox, but, uh, it, it was, I had the first 36 hours, my numbers weren't good. Uh, I was on oxygen, and the next step was seeing about getting on one of these, uh, I guess, a ventilator, you call it, and mm. that's, that's not good. But Mm-mm. I responded well to the medicines, and my numbers turned around, and, and uh, I was able to get out of there. And then 
I, you know, you sort of think, well, when you get out in a few days, you'll be fine. And for me, that that certainly wasn't the case. And and I would say that we're doing this. We're getting close to February. My my smell and taste are still lacking in in a big way. It's like my my smells are cross wired. Cross wired. Uh, I would say that uh, I I was actually concerned. I didn't really talk to my wife about it. That I was having some cognitive difficulties in recalling words probably up until mid-November or December. And I, I guess uh, they call that brain fog. And uh, some of, I had, had an MRI, my lungs are all messed up. And, you know, a lot a lot of that's gotten better. But but uh, um, it's just it's just going to take a while, I think, for me to get back to 100%. I mean, it, it really threw me for a loop. And and uh, uh, first day out, I mean, I, I, I tried to walk over to the clubhouse where I live is 150 yards. I had to rest on the way over there. Wow, and it's flat. Jim is flat, and and uh, but it, it's uh, I'm just so grateful to be out, and it, and I, I would say it it changed going through that change the way I view life, and and um, uh, it it was uh, an intense experience for me. I, I can I can tell you that for a fact, and and um, you know it just had a big impact on a, on a lot of families, obviously around the world, and. And that's, I think, you know, for people who just get it and they have no symptoms, like my wife had, she had no symptoms. I mean, we live in the same house, zero symptoms. If I didn't have it, she wouldn't even known she had it. And I, and I feel like it wasn't far from taking me out. I mean, I, I just don't know how you explain that, but, uh, thank God that we got these vaccines going around and they're getting distributed. And, and I'm hoping by the end of the summer, end of the year, whenever it is that we get this thing behind us, cause it's. It's been a mess. Yeah, my son had it, and he said the same thing. He was out playing golf the other day, and he on the cart, and he told his buddy, "I got to hit my second shot." And he goes, uh, "You just did." So I mean, it's real. Yeah, it's real. But uh, let's go on a little yeah. journey with you. Tell us about who got you started in this great game, and who was your big influences uh, early on. Well, um, like you, I'm a member of the PGA of America, and I uh, had the club put in my hands. Uh, by by uh, PGA members going back to when I was maybe four years old at the Cleveland Country Club in Cleveland, Tennessee. The late professional there, his name was Hollis Marlowe, and uh, he he was the first person to put a club in my hand. And and uh, I was that I was that kid that uh, they, had, they had like the coolest pool there. It's it's really a neat club there in, in Cleveland. It's just a little north of Chattanooga. In fact, my dad lives on still lives on the second tee there, but. Uh, you know, it had this pool that at the time seemed like the, you know, the biggest pool in the world. And, and uh, uh, the driving range was down there behind the pool. And, and I would go up and I would swim and I'd jump out and go hit balls. And I'd swim and I'd go jump out and hit balls. And, that, of course, I might work a, a hot dog in there uh, from time to time. And uh, fro- frozen Snickers, there's nothing better than, you know, middle of the summer, you know, you're, you're a kid and you're sunburned and your lips are – you know, blistered and your hands are blistered and eating a frozen Snickers, you know, I mean, I, I, from the freezer by the pool, it's the best. But, uh, Hollis Marlowe, he, he got me started. Um, Joe Markham, <clears throat> also PGA professional. He was the first assistant. He was there. And uh, in fact, after Hollis retired, uh, Joe ended up uh, being at the club for a long time. And Joe is, uh, he's right around 90 now. Wow. And uh, I forget how many hundreds of times he he shot his age. His son Joe Junior is a good player. And in fact, this summer my dad and I had a, a father son match against Joe and Joe, Joe Junior. Those two love golf as much as anybody I've ever seen. And and uh, we we did it at the honors course in Chattanooga, and they whipped us. And 
we're going to have a rematch this summer at the at the Cleveland Country Club, and and I, I can't can't wait to do that. But uh, he he loves golf as much as anybody, and and uh, uh, while he's not the guy who put the club in my hand, he's a guy that that you know showed me how you how you treat people, and and nobody treats people better than than, than Joe Marple Senior. And then from there, I went over to uh, South Carolina. My dad's job transferred him there, and there was a professional at a at a um, a club called Tiga K is just south of Charlotte. Uh, his name was Barry Deese. And uh, Barry ended up, I, I sort of lost contact with him. He left there and came down to, to be a professional at Myrtle Beach. And I'd heard that he passed away not long after that. But Barry knew a few tour players like Frank uh, Frank Beard and Bruce Litsky. And he was real active in bringing um, the South Carolina Open to Tiga K a, a few times. And, and he had... Uh, is Paul Hahn Jr., the trick shot mm, yep, artist. You ever yep. see him? He was at my kid? dad's club back when I was a kid. He was awesome. Uh, oh, he was awesome. And I was the kid, like, in the front row, you know, watching and hanging on every shot. By the time I was there, I was working in the bag room for a dollar an hour. <laughs> and, you know, we had the hot dog machine in there. You know where the hot dogs go around and around? Oh, and yeah. Clack, oh, and yeah. Clack, yeah. Yeah, with the steam buns on top. And I'd, ha- I'd have me a hot dog and I'd putt. I'd put anybody around and want to putt for a quarter hole, and I always had a lot of quarters in my pocket. But I, I'd eat, I'd have a hot dog, I'd have the mustard on my shirt and grape soda, and my all my shirts were yellow and and purple. Yeah, it looked like an LSU fan. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, but but Barry had this, he had this amazing junior golf program and and the tournaments and. And and not only that, bring in professionals there. And and uh, when Bruce Litsky came through to do a clinic, uh, and this wasn't a high dollar club, you know, it was like one hundred and fifteen dollars a month dues, you know, for the whole family. Mm-hmm. And 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 it had pools and tennis and all that. It was a really neat place. But he put me right in right in front, watching Bruce Litsky do the clinic, and then sat me down to have dinner with him. And uh, wow. um, you, you and and I I never really knew Bruce very well. I'm sure you played a lot of golf with him, but. My my rookie year on tour, I was playing the L.A. Open at Riviera, and I got in a, I got in a, maybe it was like a shuttle bus or something with with Bruce Litsky, and and I said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> when I was nine years old, you came to Tiki K because of this guy. I said, yeah, I remember being there, and I and I and I had dinner with you, and I thought you were just the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna make a PGA tour one of these days and be just like that guy. And I said, and I introduced myself, and I, and I said, I'm a rookie now on the PGA Tour, and I just want to thank you for the kind words you had for me all those years ago. So, um, but that, you know, it was just, it was just, it was great times. And then, I, I know it's a short question, but I'm gonna keep on going. No, keep going. You got me on a roll, but, but um, uh, we had a professional by the name of Dean Alexander. Oh yeah. Um, who came down? Dean came from. Uh, he's from Indiana and um, played at Georgia Southern. Was uh, teammates and roommates with. The buddy Alexander, who coached Florida a long time, as U.S. Amateur champion, uh, and I, I think you might know, buddy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so um, Dean was at Olympia Fields as, a, as an assistant, and his first job as a head professional was at TGK after this uh, Barry Deese left. And and uh, um, I, I was a good little you know good little player, winning some of the local tournaments and. Dean came in real old school, and uh, he he went down. Never forget, he went down into the 18th fairway, and he asked all the all the members to come down. He was a Hogan staffer, 
Mm-hmm. And he had like this cool Hogan bag and the coolest Hogan clubs, you know, and the and the um, the latest, you know, everything was. Everybody had to have the ping head covers, you know, the fuzzy ones oh, you know, yeah. when they first came out. Oh yeah. And he had this shag bag full of Titleist, and he, you know, he just he was just you know he looked looked great, and he and he gave this clinic, you know, and 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 that was that was. You know, I mean, nobody does that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the 18th fairway, introducing yourself to the members and. I went up to him afterwards and introduced myself and gave him the handshake and a firm, you know, look in the eye. And, and uh, you know, I said, I'm 13 years old and I've been sort of around here playing some tournaments and, and I, I've been helping out in the bag room, helping out around here. And, and I want to be as good as I can be at this game. And, you know, will you help me? And he just took me right under his wing. So I'm 53 now, 13. I'm trying to do the math on that. Uh, uh, what is it? 39 years, 40 years. And, and, uh, uh, to this day, I probably talk to Dean two days a week and, and it was just a lifelong friendship. And I learned so much from him. And, you know, to this day, he, he coaches me. I believe me, if I made a mistake when, when I was in there working with you at golf channel, the first call I got was from Dean Alexander and, and, uh, <laughs> he, he he's the best and uh, master PGA professional and and we just just have a wonderful relationship. I'm so grateful for that. But you know that sort sort of some of the folks that have helped me. He was at CCLA when Sissy, my wife, was at LSU, and then he went to Colonial yep. and got and gave me an honorary membership. So I have known Dean. I had no idea of this story. That this yeah, it's a you don't think for the listeners this is a small world out there. Well, that's small because I mean he oh. was he was well, big influence on Sissy down when she was in Baton Rouge. He was great to her and us as well. So yeah, that's a that's a, it's oh, a small he's world. great. It's a small world. So so when Dean was at Tiga K, he coached me up uh, and and so I won the USGA Junior when I was seventeen. And then Buddy Alexander was recruiting me when Buddy was still at LSU uh-huh. um, to, to come down there. And, and when Country Club of Louisiana was growing in, um, he, he, he got the job there. And, and uh, so we were looking for a while. Like I was, I was going to go to Baton Rouge uh, with, with Dean going down to, to uh, Country Club of Louisiana and, uh, and, and almost did. And and I remember going on a recruiting trip down there. David Thomas was, you know, showed me mm-hmm. around and all that. And you ought to ask David about my recruiting <laughs> trip. I think I said a few records that I won't get into here. But uh, <laughs> no, there's a lot of juniors that listen I, to this. I, I wore a Lamode de golf t-shirt uh, or a golf shirt out, and David still laughs about me wearing a golf shirt. You know, going out on Saturday night on football weekend in oh, Baton Rouge wearing a Lamode de golf. But <laughs> but uh, now I ended up going to Georgia Tech instead. But but no, but Dean, Dean and I have stayed real close over the years, and, and just a great friend. And and family, you know how golf. Man. Oh, I know. It, it, it it's you know you. Have, I mean, it's family. It's tight, and and uh, he's part of my family, and I'm a part of his family, and I'm forever grateful for that relationship. Why'd you pick Georgia Tech over LSU? Why or why'd you just pick Georgia Tech in in, in you, general? You, you ought to see the car they gave me. I really? Mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I didn't get one of those. <laughs> Loaded, yeah, loaded. The trunk was loaded full of money. So, um, <laughs> oh. yeah, the recruiting is different. The recruiting is different now than than it used to be. I think that's one of the things that coaches get get frustrated about. But I, I was, uh, I, I had a shot at a lot of schools, and and one of the biggest thrills I had was Mike Holder called me from Oklahoma State because mm. I, I did and still do have tremendous respect for 
for for Coach Older and then what he established there at, at Oklahoma State. And I, and I was just real honest because I'd heard – remember E.J. Fister? E.J. Oh, was yeah. such a good player. And I'd heard that they made him weigh in before he went to tournaments. And I'm like, <laughs> Coach, I really appreciate you calling. <laughs> I said, but I and, – and I it means the world to me, but I don't think it's a good fit. People try to weigh me in before we go to a tournament. I ain't going to make many tournaments. So, uh, oh, that's but, great. <laughs> I, I ended up. Um, um, I took my five visits, and and I, I don't, I, I'm really not too familiar with the recruiting process now. But but I, I visited uh, Florida, North Carolina, LSU, Wake, and Georgia Tech, and and um, I probably most people and I did for a while. I thought I was probably going to go to Wake because I was fortunate enough to be offered Arnold Palmer scholarship, wow. and nobody had ever turned that down. And um, so what happened is Puggy Blackman, who was a coach at Georgia Tech, and they were really just getting the program going there. And he had signed Bill McDonald the year before, mm-hmm. and Bill was a heck of a player and is, is doing a great job as a as a head coach at South Carolina now. And um, just really talented player, and the, the kids love him there. He's he's doing what he's you know supposed to be doing, and 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 a good buddy. But. Um, Puggy called me and honestly, I didn't even know where Georgia Tech was. That was my first question, you know, because things are different back sure. then. We didn't have ESPN, you know, and I grew up in Charlotte, Atlanta. You know, it was, might as well have been over three oceans to get there. <laughs> and and uh, he said, um, he said, you know, I understand your great uncle is, is a Georgia Tech alum, and I, I said, well, I you know I see my great uncle every year at Christmas or or at my great grandmother's birthday party, but I, I don't really know him. And uh, he said, well, yeah, he's been a big supporter of the school. So I said, well, Coach, I don't know. So I, I, I agreed that, you know, I'd talk to him later and, and, and um, you know, maybe consider giving a visit. Well, in the meantime, my great uncle called. And um, <laughs> he, he, didn't real, he didn't realize I was uh, one of the top-rated players in the country. Dudley Hart would tell you he was number one at the time. I'd tell you I was number one at the time. I, we're probably both wrong. But, but – um, uh, my uncle misunderstood what the coach said. He he thought that I needed help getting at Georgia Tech. I was a good student on good test scores, and right. and uh, um, so he, he said I can help you get in Georgia Tech if you need some help. And I said, well, I, I appreciate it. And I, you know, I didn't tell him it. I didn't correct him or anything. So Puggy calls me back, and uh, he said, your uncle talked to you. I said, yeah, he told me he would help you. He said, stay by the phone. And um, so the phone rang a minute ago. It was my great uncle. And he said, uh, he said, I'm going to apologize. He said, I didn't realize that Georgia Tech was trying to get you. I thought you were, you know, trying to get in there. <laughs> he said, uh, and, I, and I said, well, because I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't going to tell him that. And he said, um, he said, so here's what we're going to do. He said, I just talked to Jack Nicholas. And um, he, he was very good friends with Mr. Nicholas. And, mm-hmm. and Mr. and Miss Nicholas had done some commercials for my great uncle's company. And they lived in the same neighborhood. And, Lost Tree and, and uh, down in North Palm Beach. And my, my great uncle had actually been president of the club. And he says, uh, next weekend, I'm going to fly you down here to uh, Palm Beach. And me and you and Jack Nicholas are going to play golf. And we're going to talk about this. And I said, the only thing I could say was, yes, sir. Yeah, right? exactly. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, I flew down there and, and stayed with my great uncle. And we played at... Um, so Nicholas course had just opened called not blah blah that's a Pete die um I'll come up with it in a minute but really a really neat neat club so we went out and played and 
Mr. Nicholas was a big fan of, of, of Puggy. He liked mm-hmm. Puggy a lot. He knew him. And uh, uh, Gary Nicholas also played with us. And, and um, um, that uh, and you know, we, we sat down, had a nice long lunch, and we talked about things. And in and, uh, the meantime, uh, Puggy had approached my great uncle about funding the Bobby Jones Scholarship which was just an idea up to that point. And my great uncle agreed that he would fund it up, you know, for in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, if I agreed to go to school there and, and, uh, I'd be the first recipient of the Bobby Jones trophy. And so all of that sort of hit me, you know, in that one day. And, wow. and I was at dinner at Lost Street Club having some of those stone crabs. You know, the stone crabs he got down there. That was, I mean, that was like my dream to eat those stone crabs. Yeah, they're real. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I told I told my great uncle, I said, let's go call the coach. I'm going to come to Georgia Tech. So that night, you know, after playing golf with Jack Nicholas, we called the coach. And we had a nice celebration there. And so sure enough, that's what happened. Um, I turned down the Arnold Palmer Scholarship to be the first recipient of the Bobby Jones Scholarship at Georgia Tech. And. And uh, when I when I got to school, there was a super cool reception out at, at the athletic club in Atlanta, and Mr. Nicholas came up and spoke, and and that's that's how the Bobby Jones scholarship got funded and started, and I was the first recipient of it. So that is so uh, cool. That was you know his head his heady stuff, and at the time I'm 18 years old, I'm I, you know you don't think that's a big deal, but later on you sort of think back and you're like, wow, that was pretty cool, and. Uh, so that that's how I got to Georgia Tech. Well, what they what you failed to mention, you did win the U.S. Junior, and you were one of the top players in the yeah. in the country. But that's a cool story. See, I'm learning so many more things about you. Uh, but that that's an amazing. And you still keep up with Jack Nicholas and Barbara. You're still good friends with them. What's that like being, you know, having them to kind of bounce some things off of, and and because uh, he's been around and he knows a lot of stuff, and and just has some awesome uh, great advice. Well, so, so, you know, that was the first time I'm, I met Mr. Nicholas there, you know, when I was 17 and, and, um, uh, Gary's a year younger than, than I am. Uh, Gary Nicholas, Gary ended up playing Ohio state. So we played a lot of the same tournaments in the summertime and, and occasionally we'd play in a tournament with, uh, with Ohio state and, and Mr. Nicholas and Miss Nicholas always did a great job of going to many of the events as their schedule would, would allow, which was surprisingly a lot. And so I, I would see him around from time to time and, and I'll, and I'll never forget this, um, Jim, after finishing school, um, I, I did many tours for a year. Uh, and I think it was my second, I mean, I go to the first stage qualifying, you know, don't make it. And the next year I, I, um, um, was having a pretty good year playing many tours and I get paired with Gary Nicholas at, uh, Bear Lakes in mm-hmm. West Palm Beach and, uh, playing in like a three day mini tour event. It was a precursor of the Hooters tours called, uh, TC Jordan tour. And, yep. that, and that was, that was fun times. And, and so I'm playing with Gary and, and the old man shows up to, uh, to caddy for him. And, oh, and, uh, Bear Lakes is, you know, it's not a, not the easiest golf course, especially, and especially when the wind's blowing. And, and I went out that day and, uh, and, and I'd been playing well and, and, um, I, I'd never hit the ball that well. I, I think before or since, and I, and I think I might've shot like 64, 65 and didn't really putt very well. And, um, when we walked off at 18 green, Tim Rosa Ford, who mm-hmm. was working for the Palm beach post at the time is standing there and Mr. Nicholas waves him over and right in front of me, he says, Tim, he said, Charlie, had the best ball striking round today 
I've ever seen, including any round I ever played. Wow. And and I'm like, holy smokes. And and so I've got the column that Tim wrote for the Palm Beach Post. This boy went to SI. Um, yep. and, and then ended up at Golf Channel NBC. And, you know, God bless Tim Rose support. I know he's struggling with, with his health right now. And uh, but but I've got that got that column. And um, so uh, he, he after we signed the cards and had a little something, you know, to, to eat, he, he walked around with me, and we sat on the uh, we sat on the uh, tailgate of my uh, SUV. And his, you know, me and Jack Nicholas sitting there and, um, he, you know, he looks at me and he goes, you know what, you, you've turned into a heck of a player. He said, I've been watching you. He said, you're, you're going to get your, you're going to get your tour card. You're either going to get a qualifying school this year or next year because you're too good of a player not to get it. And, and, um, he actually, Ken Kennerly was his agent at mm-hmm. the time. And I'm sure you've met Ken over mm-hmm. the years. And he said, I'm going to have Ken call you. I want to want him to represent you and, you know, he'll watch out for you. Ken's a good guy. And if you have any issues, let me know, you know, any, any help you need to get started or anything like that. Um, he said, you know, we'll make sure we take care of it. He, you know, he said, but you're going to get there. And, and so, you know, he didn't know it. I get in my truck, I'm staying an hour away and I'm like falling, you know, going the whole way. I mean, the goat has just told me I'm going <laughs> to you know, fulfill my dream, you know, I mean, that's yeah. heady stuff for a 20 year old kid. So, um, I didn't get my <clears throat> card that year, the qualifying school, which was my second, uh, go at it. But the following year <clears throat> at Greenleaf West, um, I, uh, I think I finished like 12th and, and, uh, so obviously that's, that's emotional, emotional time, you know, and, and I don't, and I, I don't know what year you got your card or how you got it, but, uh, you know, that's the day I'll remember forever. And uh, the first call I made before I called my parents or anything, my my, uh, my wife was with me. Um, but the first call I made was to Nicholas' house. Miss Nicholas answered, and uh, uh, you know I told her, and you know, she was real happy. And you know then I got Mister Nicholas on the phone, and I, I said, I'm not even sure if you remember this, but 18 months ago we sat over there bare legs on on the the tailgate of my SUV, and you told me I could do this, and and I just want you to know that 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 conversation went through my head about a thousand times today as I was out there getting my card for the first time. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, Jack Nicholas means a lot to me, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I would, imagine. You know, he's like that. I, I was, <laughs> I was just on tour and I was living in Palm beach gardens. I didn't really have a place to play. I was playing a PGA national paying $35 to play. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money yeah. back then. And he got me to play set up the practice at Frenchman's Creek. And he's just like that. I mean, he, he doesn't, he's not very unassuming. He does great things like that. And, and when someone like that tells you, you can, and that's one of the things I think for me when I first got on tour is when a guy like Jack or a Raymond Floyd or a great player tells you, Hey, you've got what it takes. It means so much. Yeah. Uh, it, it gave you the confidence. Like you said, I went to tour school at TPC at Sawgrass. You know, I played the island hole, yeah. you know, six different times. And I do, I remember it. Oh, it's my like, goodness. I'm just thinking, I'm set. But you really aren't set when you get to the PGA Tour. Yeah, you've got a card. you get by that the sixth time. Yeah. Hey, once you get through it, it's just kind of like, yeah, you got your card. But, you know, the tour is yeah. just a tough place to play. But when you got someone like Jack in your corner, that's that's huge. That, that's a great story. And that's just, that's what makes our game so great is people are willing to help. You're seeing Tiger Woods kind of take that role now. Phil Mickelson's taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but tell us, somebody, somebody did it. Somebody did it for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's, a, and it's a pay it forward thing. And, and that's why 
and and last time I saw uh, Tim Fincham, uh, and it's been a little while. He was just just coming off as being commissioner, and and that, that's the thing I told him. I, I said, you know, we need more opportunities in our game for for the old guys to be with the young guys. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, I, I said it used to be where. Uh, the old guys after a play and they become teachers. Well, that doesn't happen that much anymore. They go play the champions tour. And I, I said, look in baseball, you know, you got, you got, you got these former players that become managers. If they're not managers, they come and they hang out at, at spring training. And, and there's, there's more to learn about being a golf professional than just shooting a lo- lowest score. I mean, you got other responsibilities to people that came before you and being respectful of that. And a lot of the unwritten rules that, that you know, you, so you got to learn the hard way. Ed Fiore taught, taught me a lot of the unwritten rules yeah. <laughs> in a very harsh way. <laughs> but but we need more opportunities for the old guys to be around the young guys to give mm-hmm. the game some some continuity. I, I'd, I'd love to see a you know a ju- junior senior event or you know, something to get it's just to get get everybody together more often. So some of these great stories and knowledge and respect for the game and and understanding that that. Uh, uh, you're a little bit older than I am. You you may or may not have, have played in the in, in the very end of the time where sometimes you'd have to pay for your practice ball. Oh, I did. Up on tour. I, I did. Oh, and, yeah. That's why I didn't practice. Yeah, they, 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 right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the young guys have no idea. You know that that you know when you're out when Jim Gallagher was out trying to win his first PGA Tour event, he had to pay five bucks to get a bucket of balls on the on, you know, on the run. They don't have any idea. You know mm-hmm. now it's like there's. Ten different whatever ball you play, they got one there. Yeah, and and uh, so some of that doesn't get passed down, and and I think it's a missed opportunity. You know, we did something. Uh, I don't remember how when it was, but Sonny Skinner, who you know, uh, was his first year, and I was his big brother, and they kind of had a big brother, little brother. I'm gonna say it was in the probably before you got on tour, and that was kind of cool. Then it kind of just went away, and I remember I had Archie Manning yeah. on the podcast. He said that was the coolest thing for him. Is to talk to the the greats, the Johnny Unitas's, the Ken Dawson, the Len Dawson's, the guys like that that would share information and tell them, you know, yeah. what you're feeling in situations. And and I think that's a lost that's a lost art. It really is because everybody's kind of going their separate ways. I, I think it would help. Yeah. It would help them big time when it comes to Ryder Cups. Uh, yeah, anything yeah. like that. I, I I, in a lot in a lot of ways. Yeah, I it just maybe, it's, you know, interacting with the fans in a little bit different way that and in a lot of areas, I think it would be helpful. Larry Miles was my big brother. Uh-huh. And uh oh, what a good then guy. I had a chance to be a big brother. You know who my little brother was? No. Last guy you'd ever think of. John McGinnis. Oh my gosh, look what happened to him. <laughs> I know. I told him I said I said, "All right, I'm your, I'm your big brother." I said, "Sorry you didn't get anybody else because I I said, "Here's the only thing I'm going to tell you. You can't afford to stay where I stay." Eat what I eat. Um, have a great year. If you got any questions, call me. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's what he says. I told him. Well, I don't think I did. Well, no. That's what he said. Well, tell us the story when you told Phil Blackmore how to do TV. Now that's his, that's kind of. I'm going to believe what you told John. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the, the the thing about Phil Blackmore as I was playing the mechanics of of, uh, of being on course reporter, and it, it's changed. A little bit, but not much at the time. Some of the yeah, I guess because I had I hadn't been out on course in a long time. But uh, the RF packs for folks that don't really think about it, you, you most of the time you have a boom mic in front of your face, and and uh, depending on what network. Uh, at the time, I, uh, this was ESPN. You you have your own switch, 
And any time during the show, you can go on air. It's a three-way switch. There's off positions in the middle. There's a uh, uh, on-air position that goes towards the front, and there's talk back that goes to the back. And so there's a little tiny switch, mm-hmm. and and the talk back would go to the back. Um, and when you bring your hand off of it, it goes goes back to the off position. And uh, being a big fella, <laughs> I had a few times where you know you start moving around a little bit, you bend over, occasionally you get a fat roll that'll knock that uh, <laughs> that switch into the broadcast position. And and when your buddies uh, from whatever town you're in that week, I'm over and they're talking to you the way a golf buddy talk to you, and that goes right on air to 178 countries around the world live <laughs> on ESPN. That could be a little embarrassing. So I, I had to train Blackmar up by uh, letting him know those fat rolls can be a danger. And uh, I, I think to this day, when he walks around and he, when he's uh, uh, broadcasting, he keeps one finger on that uh, on that little button at all times. <laughs> You know, I do. I've had it happen. I'll take credit for it. I've had it happen. It's it's a big deal. It's a it's a true deal. Skinny people don't have that problem. Skinny people don't. Yeah, right, right. Skinny. It's not it's not a problem for skinny people. Did you enjoy your (laughs) Did you enjoy your time? uh, You know, you you played on tour for a little bit, and you decided to kind of cut back. You know, you didn't maybe have the success you wanted to have, but uh, do you kind of have any regrets? Not regrets, but you know, when you play the tours, some things you might have wanted to do differently. Well, that, play that's kind of way, way you phrase that. Didn't, didn't play as long as I wanted to. You know, when when they start, when they when when you become not eligible to show up and play, <laughs> you'll call that retirement. I don't think, but no, uh, well, I, I wish I had played uh, a little bit longer. I, I, mean, I basically played three years on tour and and a year on either side. Um, on uh, what was in the the uh, Nike tour, and and uh, my my last year or after my third year on tour, I went back to to Q school, and and I mean one of the twenty thousand people that claimed to have missed by a shot, but but I in fact missed by keeping my card by a shot, mm. and uh, or the the last nine holes, I, I knew I had to have a good nine holes, and and um, uh, I thought I needed to shoot five or six under, and. Uh, we were actually at Greenleaf where I originally got my card. And, and, oh, by the way, that course that I first played golf with, Jack Nichols, Loxahatchee. Loxahatchee, yep, I've played there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, I made six birdies in those nine holes and one bogey. The bogey was three putt, two and a half feet. I, I was above a hole down grain and spun out and, and, and missed. And I had, uh, um, had, uh, my first son, Charlie. Mm hmm. Uh, and my wife was pregnant with our second son, Hayden, and that was not a fun ride from, from, no. uh, Greenleaf back to, we were living at Reynolds Plantation in middle Georgia at the time. And, and that, that was, that was a tough ride. And, and so, um, I thought, um, well, I, you know, I'll go out and play a year on the, on the Nike tour. And, and, uh, I'm just with, uh, with, with then two kids at home and I, I just, Jim, I, I just I I couldn't pull it off. I I, I was I I wasn't happy when I was away from home. Obviously, I, it was tough when they would come out with me because I I wanted to spend time with my wife and kids and help her. But I had you know I had to get up and go play golf and practice afterwards. And then when I came home, that was probably the toughest time because I was losing my skills. And for me, the best way to 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 work on it, I wasn't necessarily a practicer. I would go get in these, you know, sort of fun gambling games mm-hmm. and, and put pressure on myself. 
and and it's like okay, I've been gone for four weeks playing golf. I'm home for for a week, and I'm going to go play golf with my buddies and gamble. And and that's what I needed to do to get my game back. And I just I, I couldn't do it. And and so I would just you know I'd get up early in the morning. I'd go practice for an hour. I'd help with the kids all day long, you know, or slide out an hour to go practice, and that just didn't do it for me. And so it sort of started this decline. And, and I just I wasn't happy at home. I wasn't happy when I was on the road. I wasn't playing well. And 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 then Gary, Gary McCord actually um, <clears throat> made a call uh, to get me some auditions to try and get in television. And and uh, December, the end of that that year, um, I had some auditions with the SPN, and they and they picked me up and took me to the events in Hawaii. And while I was out there, they you know said, "Hey, we want you to work our events in the fall." And then. At the same time, USA Network called. I know mm-hmm. you did a lot of work. Yep. Kevin Landy, who was who was over at, at, uh, at USA at the time, so I, I did the USA stuff and the ESPN stuff, and and that was the first year of about twenty two or twenty three years of broadcasting. So I, I wasn't bitter when I left. It was time for me to go because I just I just wasn't happy. I knew I needed to do something else. Um, if, if I could go back in time and, and change things, I, I would have probably got a little more help. Um, figuring out how to drive the ball a little better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I certainly, if I could get in a time machine would have gone back and, and I'd yell at my younger self. Um, and you, you got to get your head out of your butt. Cause so many times I went to play golf and just the attitude was so bad. Cause I was just negative on myself, negative self-talk. And, and that doesn't, you know, walking around telling yourself that you suck and you're horrible. You're going to start believing that doesn't it. really pull. Yeah. That doesn't really pull, pull, you know, it doesn't work. And, and and that's one of the things you you know how challenging TV is. I mean, you've been doing it twenty plus years now too. I couldn't imagine doing a TV show. And right before we went on air on network television, my self talk is, "I suck. I'm horrible. What am I doing here?" Yeah. And and yet that's that's what I was doing before I went the first see on the VGA tour. And and uh, so I, I would definitely try to correct that. And that's why when I talk to young people, one of the main things I talk to them about is attitude and how important it is. And you you have to know it. All the technique and everybody's talking about hitting it far and all this stuff, all these people are doing. I, I mean, sure, that's part of the game. But first and foremost, you got to believe in yourself, mm-hmm. and 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 you you got to act. You you got to act like you've done it before you actually do it. And and uh, and I just didn't do that. And and uh, if I had a mulligan, that's that's the one thing I'd, I'd really try to correct. So what the mechanical thing with my driver, but just attitude. Yeah, because you know you mentioned that. I, I remember my wife telling me talking about myself. She goes, "Would you talk to your daughters like that?" Uh, no. The why are you talking no. to yourself that way? And we're all guilty of it. And I think, you know, that, yeah. that that gets to the question is what separates that elite player athlete from the average? Because ninety some percent of the people are just average. That's nothing wrong with being average. But what makes that elite right. athlete or elite golfer that elite golfer? Stuff like you know the self talk. Yeah. It, it, it's belief, and and that's why to this day, uh, the, the the things that interest me most about golf are the things that you that that you can't really see and you can't measure, mm-hmm. and and those those are the things because you, you can have analysts throwing stats around back and forth and all of that, and 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 I, I'm not a big fan of of looking at a lot of stats because. Uh, so so many times stats don't matter. You know, if you're, if you're three over the cut line on Friday afternoon, what you know, what your strokes gain in the right rough is doesn't really make any difference. Uh-huh. To me, the stats that matter are when you're feeling pressure, whatever that is for you. For a lot of players, it's winning or trying to win a major or 
get on a like you play, you know, a Ryder Cup team for some players is trying to make a cut or a top ten. When you're feeling the pressure, how you perform, that's what matters to me. There's no equivalent of uh, of uh, what your batting average is in baseball with runners in any position or, or that same stat in in playoffs, you know, and, and we just don't have the equivalent of that in golf. So I, I, I like looking at body language, mm-hmm. listening to what players are saying, facial expressions, how, you know, how they're walking. Uh, th- those are the things that interest me more than just hardcore stats that, you know, people like to crunch the data. I just, I, it just, and I know it's important. It's just not anything that really interests me. It's kind of how I approach the way I announce when I'm doing studio, same way. Or if I'm calling live golf, I'm watching how you react. I think that's what college coaches, and there's a lot of, you know, young juniors out there, parents listening to the podcast, and that's what coaches are looking. How do you react in certain situations, not necessarily good situations, but, you know, challenging yep. situations. And I think it, it doesn't matter whether it's junior golf, college golf, professional golf. If you don't have that inner drive and that belief in yourself, you're not going to be very successful because everybody that's successful it, is. Exactly. And, that, and that's the way, uh, what I've tried to teach my kids and other young people is that, that you, know, you learn that lesson in golf. And and you apply it in life. I mean, anybody can walk around, you know, look happy after they made a birdie or things are going great. It's it's what you do in life and golf after you've made a double bogey that really matters. And and um, you know, that, that's I, I firmly believe that. You know, we're all going to hit bad shots, and and there's you know really nothing you can do about it once it's left the club face. You know, you, you you find it and you hit it again. And it's, it's how you go about that that really defines who you are. And and that that's that's something that that works across all sports and life as well. well. That's kind of how we came up with the name of the podcast: "Only One Shot." Because whether it's life or golf, you may have only one shot, and you got to make it count. And that's kind of how we came up with this uh, with the theme for the the book that VJ Trulio wrote, "Only One Shot." So I mean, it's all kind of related that way. But we're going to kind of. I know you've been busy, but what, what's up next for you? What are you up to these days? And what's uh, next for Charlie Reimer? Well, I, I've been here at Myrtle Beach since I left Golf Channel, which was the end of 2018, and, and I work for this amazing company that's that's a uh, it's actually a a member organization called Myrtle Beach Golf Tourism Solutions. I know it's not a sexy name, but <laughs> but my job is to promote golf in Myrtle Beach. We we're about 70 miles top to bottom. We got a lot of communities that comprise Myrtle Beach, but we got 80 golf courses in those 70 miles and. You do the math on that. That's a little more than one uh, one golf course a mile the way wow. I figure it. And and so my job is to tell the world uh, about uh, what's going on here in Myrtle Beach and and get folks down here and not not only on the golf course but off the golf course. And and I love being able to do that. And as part of it, uh, we uh, I've been doing a lot of digital content uh, this this past year or so, and and I work with some good, uh, really good and talented folk here. So we, we did a lot of really neat stuff, including Mr. Nicholas doing a really great interview the week of masters, which, which was a lot of fun. I got him to talk, talk me through, uh, that the Sunday, 1986, what I think is the greatest day of golf, but I'm really excited. I've got a new, um, I've got a new show coming to CBS sports network and, uh, we've already got our first eight episodes taped. We're going to be on Monday nights, starting the Monday after the Masters and a really cool block with Michael Breed's show. Nick Baldo's got a couple of shows. And uh, golf night on Monday night on CBS, I think, is going to be really neat. And and uh, my show is sort of a golf lifestyle-type show. And, mm-hmm. and some of the things you and I have been talking about here, you know, sort of my approach to 
to uh, what I'm going to do in the show, and I've got some cool celebrities, and I've got some some pros. I, I do, you know, I get out, do a little fishing, do some interviews while we're out on the water. I got some cooking segments. How about that? Well, you you, you like to eat. I'm assuming you know how to cook. Oh, you, yeah. Green oh, egg. Man, I know yeah, you're that, a green egg guy. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I'm doing some uh, cooking segments where where I'm uh, doing some meals that are inspired by players and telling stories about those players while, while I'm doing it. So it's got the best name in the history of names for television shows. You you, you want to know what that is? Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be the Charlie Reimer show. That's so, a great name. Uh, I mean, does it get any catchy. better than that? Yeah, yeah. it's catchy. And, and uh, <laughs> so I've been doing a podcast that accompanies the show. That's called Balls in the Air with Charlie Reimer. <laughs> and and uh, so it, it's uh, that's a lot of fun. So it, it actually, they, they work hand in hand. For example, in our first show, I'll have a really neat interview with, and I'm sure you know, and my, my longtime buddy, Colt Ford. And, oh, gosh, yeah. And uh, we, we show about five minutes of the interview, but if you want to see the full thing, you can go, you can go over and check that out on the on the podcast. But uh, I, I'm really excited about it, and, and I'm getting to do things my way. Uh, I really fought for uh, <clears throat> a lot on the show, and they pretty much gave me everything I fought for. And I'm like, this is great. And then I started thinking, well, it's also a little scary. It's like mm-hmm. having people come over the house. And you go make a big pot of chili, and you got the chili the way you like it. It tastes great. And then you're thinking, well, maybe they're not going to like it. So that's sort of that's sort of where I'm at with the show right now. And and uh, I, I'm pumped about it, uh, and and I hope other folks are too. But I'm a little worried because you know I'm I'm a little off kilter, you know. So we'll Just see we'll see what we get. But I hope they enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they will. And you know, I, my daughters played the USGA uh, team event down in Myrtle Beach. They loved their week down there, but. For you folks that get to Myrtle Beach, go see Charlie. He'll buy you a hot dog, and uh, he's going to show you around. But, Charlie, thanks for being on with us. And uh, I'm going to have to get Mr. Nicholas, Miss Nicholas, on my podcast one day. I'd love to hear hear what they've got to say as well. But uh, good luck to you. Appreciate you spending some time with us. And uh, good luck on the, the new uh, shows. And uh, you're going to be successful no matter what you do, bud. Yeah, Jim, I appreciate, appreciate our friendship and uh, great catching up with you. All right, pal. Thank you.